0: Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Porterville Baptist Church in beautiful Moultrie, Georgia. We're so glad that you've chosen to listen in with us today. It is our hope that you will be encouraged by the Word of God and find growth in your everyday life. For more information about our church or for more digital resources, be sure to check us out on the web at OrtravilleBaptist.com. And now for today's sermon. But uh, we want to take just a short little break here in verse 29. Verse 29 is so uh, powerfully rich. Uh, for us as believers that uh, we need to take one sermon, at least one sermon to look at what all is found in this one verse. What a what a glorious verse of scripture that we have here in the word of God. So uh, if you found John chapter 1 verse 29, I'm going to ask you if you're willing and able to please stand with your Bibles open in honor and in reverence of God's holy word. John chapter 1 verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. We thank you so much that, Lord, you love us the way you do. And we've been able to to sing today and to hearing special music about the promises you have for your children. There's there's coming a day where there's gonna be no more sorrow, no more death, no more crying. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna be able to be with you in your presence. And Lord in our Sunday school lesson this morning, the Apostle Paul talked about if he it was to stay here on this earth, it would benefit uh, the church at Philippi and others. But if he was to die, he would gain. He would gain being in the presence of you, Lord. And we're thankful for those promises. And we understand today that those promises and the salvation only come through you, Lord Jesus. And because of what you have done for us on the cross at Calvary, I pray, Lord, today that if there is anyone listening, Lord, whether it's in this building or online, Lord, that does not know you as our Lord and Savior, oh God, today would you convict them, would you show them, would your spirit... Oh Open up their hearts and show them, Lord, that they need you more than anything else. And I pray that, Lord, today, they'd surrender their heart and life to you, repent of their sin, and ask you to come in their life to save them, that they might be born again. I pray for every believer that, Lord, I know there's a lot going on. I know there's a lot of things that can get us down and get us depressed, and, and Lord, just feel like there's just bad news everywhere. But, God, the greatest news of all is that you have provided a lamb. And I pray that, Lord, today, every born-again child of God would be encouraged it would be challenged lord to live for you lord because of what you have done for us may we never get to the point where we have done enough or that we have arrived spiritually based on what you have done for us may it drive us lord to serve you more and more faithfully to fall more and more in love with you lord i pray i ask now god that you would preach this message that i would decrease and you increase lord i pray in jesus name i pray amen and you may be seated In the Bible, our God is called many things. Uh, He is called our Savior, our Redeemer. He is called our Healer, our Refuge, our Strength. There are multiple names that God is called. Uh, In the Old Testament, many times when God would operate in a certain way, you would see a new name for God, and it would describe Him. And years ago, I was taking a study called Experiencing God, and as I was doing this this study, experiencing God with some friends at church, there was an exercise we had to do. In the back of our workbook, there was a listing of all the different names for God in the Bible, all the different names of Jesus in the Bible, all the different names of the Holy Spirit. And we were to take a time when we could walk around out loud and pick three or four of those names and thank God for how he acted in our life the way that, that word says. And I remember uh, at the time uh, I was living in Tifton and I came down to see my parents and I think they were off eating somewhere probably. And, and I was in the house all by myself. And, and as I was in that house, I began to walk around and I began to think about that list. And I began to walk around the home that I grew up in and I began to think about how God is my provider. I, I, I thought about how I was saved in that house. I thought about how God did. And, and just thinking about all the different ways he has done things in my life and and transformed me and and blessed me in so many different ways and it was just really overwhelming to to think about that to be able to walk around and say that out loud and to thank him for all those different times when we look at this verse john the baptist calls jesus the lamb of god it is one of the most descriptive and powerful ways to describe who jesus is And I pray that today as we examine what that means, I pray you'll never look at that verse the same. I pray that it would grip you every time you're debating about whether or not to do what God has commanded you to do. I pray if you're waffling on whether or not to to give your life to Him today, that you'd say yes to Him as we see what this phrase means. If you'll look with me at this verse and I just want to walk through it uh, word by word, phrase by phrase. <clears throat> it begins with, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him. The next day ties in what we just studied last week. Last week we saw where uh, John the Baptist, who has been preaching, and crowds, the crowds are coming to him and being baptized. The religious leaders in Jerusalem have sent people to him to find out just who are you. Because John didn't come up through their seminaries and their colleges. He didn't sit under their Pharisee and, and other teachers. Uh, who was he and all that? He asked all those questions we, we looked at last week and, and we saw where John the Baptist again uh, was, was talking about how uh, he, he pointed people to Christ, about his position and, and all of that. Well, the next day after that happens, he sees Jesus coming to them. It is of my own personal opinion that Jesus has been gone for about 41, 42 days. I believe Jesus came and was baptized by John. The actual act we do not have here in the book of John. We have it in the other Gospels. But the Bible tells me in the other Gospels that once he was baptized, the Spirit of God led him into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And he went in there for 40 days. And now he has come back. And as he comes back, John the Baptist sees him. He literally points out, that's the one That's the one. And we see here that the first thing he says is, Behold. When John says behold, that word is a command. In the Greek language, it's an imperative. It means to stop and pay attention to what I'm saying. Stop, look at what I'm pointing at. One person has said it's almost like in a... And one of those trial scenes when the, the witness is on the witness stand and the prosecutor says, is the person who committed that crime in the room? And they point to the defendant. Yes, right there. John stands up and he points. Behold, there is Jesus. He calls him in this verse the Lamb of God. Now, as he uses that term, Lamb of God, it may not seem like a big deal to us today. But again, understanding all things when we study the Bible, what's the first three rules of Bible interpretation, church? It's always context. And whenever we study the Word of God, we want to go back, what did it mean to the original hearers? What did it happen to those who are originally heard this or these events took place? And when, when they thought about what John was saying... I believe that it would have had a greater impact than maybe on us. Lambs were very important to the Jewish people in their history and in their worship. Every day in the temple there were two lambs that were slaughtered and killed. One in the day and one toward the night. As they're slaughtered for the sins of the people. People would bring, uh, animal sacrifices all the time to the temple. They would, they would constantly, and that at the Passover, there would be thousands and thousands of lambs that would be slaughtered. Matter of fact, when they designed the temple, they designed it up back up against a, a valley, and they would have drainage where the blood could run down the side because there'd be so many sacrifices because of their sin. But here we see that he calls Jesus the Lamb of God. Now, the word lamb there is the Greek word ennos. And and that's significant because it means a a small lamb. It means something that you would use to sacrifice. It's used here in verse 29. It's used in verse 36. And it's also used in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 8, that word is used when quoting Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 being the great Old Testament passage about Jesus' sacrifice. We find it one other spot in the New Testament. In 1 Peter 1.19, Peter, he's talking about the fact how we're not saved by good works. We're not saved because of money or tradition or whose family you come from. But here's what he said. We are saved by the precious blood of Christ as a lamb or ammos, without blemish and without spot. Okay, Now, church, uh, uh, Alexander the Great, not our Alexander the Great, but the real Alexander the Great, 300 years before Christ conquers the world or most of the world. And when he did, he sought to spread Hellenism. The impact of that is still being felt today in our own society. And one of the ways he spread Hellenism or Greek philosophy was to spread the Greek language. It did not take long after Alexander's death that the Greek language, the, the Koine Greek, ordinary Greek, became the, the language of the business world. Today, if you want to conduct business internationally or globally, you've got to speak English. It is the language of business. Well, it was Koine Greek in that day. And just within a few decades of Alexander the Great's uh, 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 fall of his, of his death and his empire still uh, growing, just a few decades after his death, so many Jews spread out all over the Roman world spoke Greek better than they spoke Hebrew or Aramaic. It was so bad that many of them could not read the Old Testament. They didn't know it well enough. So the first Bible translation took place about 200 years before Jesus when about 70 scholars, uh, Hebrew scholars took the Old Testament text and translated it into Conine Greek. It's called the Septuagint. It was the Bible that many of the Jews had in Jesus' day and in Paul's day all around the world. It was the first Bible translation. It was the Old Testament in Greek. And as they translated the book of Exodus, chapter 12, verse 5, when it talks about the Passover lamb, it uses this word, the amnos, the, the, the small sacrificial lamb. Why is that so important that they would describe that Passover lamb that way? Well, we have to remember what the Passover is. The Passover, remember, the Jewish people were enslaved in Egypt. God raises up Moses. He's going to lead them out of Egypt. Pharaoh will not let them go, the king of Egypt. So he sends plagues on them. One plague after another. One plague after another. And still they are not freed. So what happened? God says, I'm saying, one more plague. He tells Moses, you tell the people to get a lamb. And Amnos, you get that lamb and you and I want you to kill it at a certain time. I want you to take the blood from that, collect the blood. I want you to prepare that lamb a certain way. I want you to eat it a certain way. And then you're going to take the blood of that lamb and you're going to spread it all over your doorpost. Because here's what's going to happen. I'm about to come through Egypt. And every house that does not have the blood of a lamb over that doorpost, the firstborn will die whether it's Pharaoh's home or the one in the dungeon. their livestock, and it was the great night of death. That night, as the Jewish people got together, and they took that amnos, that little lamb, and they sacrificed it, and they ate it the way God said to eat it, prepared it the way God said, and they took that lamb and put it over the doorpost. As God came through that lamb, when He saw the blood, He passed over that house. The blood of that lamb saved that house from death that night. Saved it from destruction that night. Saved it from sorrow that night because he saw the blood and he passed over it. And God said, I want you to do this every year. You are to celebrate the Passover when I delivered you and did not deliver Egypt. So we need to understand that this Passover lamb is probably what came to mind whenever the Jews and those people around heard John tell Jesus he is the Lamb of God. In 1 Corinthians 5 verse 7, Paul says that Jesus is our Passover. He is our Passover. In just three years from the events that we are reading right here in this text, Jesus will come to Jerusalem at the feast of the Passover and die on a cross for our sins. When he says he is the Lamb of God, what that means is that God provided it. Now, folks, I don't want you to miss this. Because when they sacrificed those lambs, they had to go out and buy a lamb or raise a lamb or take care of a lamb. They had to go do it. It involved them doing something, okay? It involved them doing something. Here, it says that God provided the lamb. God provided the lamb. It it takes us back to Genesis chapter 22. Y'all remember Genesis chapter 22? God tells Abraham, the father of the faith, I want you to sacrifice your one and only son, Isaac. And what does Abraham do? i tell you one thing, he didn't tell his wife. (laughs) Maybe he did. I don't know what that conversation was like. (laughs) I can only imagine. (laughs) But he gets out and he leaves the next day. He's got some service with him. They go three days to Mount Moriah. And again, we could preach all day on the fact that it took them three days. They get to Mount Moriah, the place that eventually will be the place of the temple that will be in Jerusalem. As they get to the edge of that mountain, Abraham looks at his servants and say, me and my son are going up on that mountain. We're going to worship God. And then we are coming back down this mountain. Abraham, according to the New Testament, Hebrews says he believed that what was going to happen, he was going to take Isaac's life on that altar and sacrifice him, and God was going to raise him back from the dead. Now, God had never done that up to that point. But you know what Abraham said? Abraham said, you know what? God has already told me that my descendants are coming through this one right here. And he don't have any descendants, and God don't lie. I don't know what he's going to do, but he's going to make a way. And they're going up the mountain there. It's just Abraham and Isaac, his son, who's maybe in his early 20s, as they're going up that mountain there. All of a sudden, Isaac, he looks around and says, We got the wood, Daddy. We got the fire. Where's the sacrifice? Abraham says, God will provide a sacrifice. And again, we could take all day, and we could preach on Isaac uh, being a type of Christ. He allows his father well over a hundred years to bind him on a altar he's about to take his life when god stops him and there's a ram caught in the thicket over there that ram is taken god provided they offer that sacrifice there uh, I, I, abraham did not have to go through with that but i believe mentally in his mind he already had and he received his son back uh, the bottom line is god provided there. And what John the Baptist is saying is that is the lamb God has provided. That is the lamb he has provided. Provided, why would God need a lamb? Why would he need to provide a lamb? He had to do that because, notice, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Who takes away the sin of the world. The word word take away, it means to bear something up. To literally pick something up. It's used in the book of John later on where they pick up stones and they're about to throw stones at somebody and stone them to death. It's used in the book of Acts, them picking up the anchor so that the boat could, could go on. It's used in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, where he says, take up the cross and follow him. And it's used in 1 Peter chapter 2, 24, where Peter says uh, himself, Bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we having died to sins might live for righteousness whose stripes you were healed. It's translated bore there because it carries the idea of not only picking something up, but carrying the weight of something. And that's what Jesus Christ did as the Lamb, our sin was put on Him. Notice, the Bible says here in verse 29, the next day John saw Him, Jesus coming toward Him, and He said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That term take away again, it it means it is removed, it is gone. I I want you to do something with me this morning, church. I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Hold your spot in John, but turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we see the Apostle Paul describing how Jesus took away our sin. It says in chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians, beginning in verse 19, that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Notice it's not imputing their trespasses. That means to put their sin in their account to them. This text tells us that what God was doing in Jesus Christ was He was taking all of our sin and putting it in Jesus' account. Now, I might have shared this with you all before, but I remember when I was probably about 15 or 16 years old, I remember in the summertime back then, everybody would usually work in tobacco, and we'd get some, some money working in tobacco. And I remember I started getting a steady paycheck then, and, boy, that was just an awesome thing at that age to have money coming in that I could use any kind of way I want to. And I remember there was a little store that Mr. Almonds had on the way going out to Funston, and I remember he had an account there where you could set up an account. And I remember, I thought it was so cool. People would go in there and get stuff out of the refrigerator. And I'd pay for it. Just put it on my account. And I remember when I finally got my check, I, I talked to Mr. Allman. And he said, yeah, just come by here every Friday. We'll cash your check and we'll settle up. And he had an account there for me. Man, he, I, I thought I was a big dog. I walked in there and I'd get me a Mountain Dew and a sausage dog and some combos. Charge it. I mean, you, you, couldn't, you couldn't tell me nothing. You know? Had all the money in the world. and it's, Charge it. And then I would give him my check, and he wouldn't give me the same amount back. (laughs) But, you know, what happened was he had accounts there. And everything that I got, he wrote it down. He wrote it down. And guess what? There came a time when that had to be paid. And see, the Bible describes all of us having an account. Every idle word you said, every thought you've had, every action you've done is written down in your account. And guess what? There's a day of reckoning for that. Somebody has to pay for that. All that's in your account has to be dealt with. And the Bible here in 2 Corinthians describes the fact that Jesus, who knew no sin, he had not experienced sin, he had not done any sin, had a clean account, but when Jesus went to the cross at Calvary, what God did so that we could be reconciled to him, he takes all the sin out of my account and out of your account, and he takes it and he puts it in Jesus' account. So that when Jesus died on the cross at Calvary, he didn't die for his sin, he died for mine. But he was punished as if he did it. He was punished as if he, was, he did it. How did he take away our sin? That's how he did it. He put it in his own account, and he bore that for us. The the Bible says here in John chapter 1, verse 29, that he takes away the sin of the world. That means to miss the mark, to miss it. God's plan for you. In Romans 3, 23, it tells us all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all fallen short of God's perfection. We're all sinners, and somebody's got to pay for our sin. If you'll turn with me real quick, and it's the last time I'm going to ask you to turn, but turn to Romans chapter 3 because I want you to see it. I don't want you to miss this. I want you to see what the Bible says about our Savior. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, as we've already said, for all of sineth, and fall short of the glory of God. Notice what, what God does by providing Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God. Notice what happens here in verse 24. He says, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. As believers, we've been justified, declared not guilty. Notice this, freely by the grace of God. Not what we could do, not what we could buy, not what we could do. But freely, notice, through the redemption, the redeeming work that is in Christ Jesus. Jesus, through what Jesus Christ did, we could not do it. But he did. Verse twenty-five: Whom God sent forth, provided as a propitiation by His blood through faith, to demonstrate His righteousness. Because of His forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. Notice He did this by setting Jesus forth as a propitiation. Now remember, church, that this is a word that every believer needs to know. You need to know the definition of this word. This word is important. This word comes from the ancient Greeks when when something bad happened. A plague or a death or bad weather. They thought they would made some God mad and God was angry at them. So they would offer a sacrifice to appease that God. A propitiation that hopefully by offering this sacrifice, that God would no longer be mad at them. Understand this. God hates my sin. He hates your sin. His anger cannot be told. What Jesus did by dying in our place, He satisfied God's requirement. Either you know, the Bible teaches that either you are saved, part of the family of God, or you are lost and an enemy of God. The wrath of God is hanging over you, and one day you will experience the wrath of a holy God. The Bible teaches those who are saved have escaped the wrath of God. Praise God. He says in this verse, he says, by his blood through faith, it is by Jesus dying in our place and through faith. He noticed he demonstrated his righteousness and in his forbearance, God passed over the sins that were previously committed. He's referring to the fact that all those folks who before Jesus, who died by having faith in God, Not having their sins fully paid for one day, God delayed. He waited his forbearance. He was patient until the time came when Jesus came to this earth, born under the law, born to a woman to come to this earth in Bethlehem and then die in Jerusalem 33 years later. The Bible says here in this verse 26 to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness. That he, talking about God, might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now let me unpack that real quick, church, because this is important. Okay? God could not be holy if he just let our sin go on. He could not be holy. Therefore, a sacrifice had to be provided. In the Old Testament, I believe it started in the Garden of Eden. And I believe two animals were slaughtered so their skins could be used to cover Adam and Eve's sin. By the time of Moses... He has instituted the Levitical priesthood and the offering sacrifices that were prescribed for them to practice. And all those sacrifices of all those animals was a reminder that when they sin, something has to pay for it. Something has to die. And in Jesus' day, when people would bring a sacrifice, they would take that sacrifice to the priest of the temple, and they would get that animal, they put their hands on that animal, and symbolically they were transferring their sin to that animal, and that animal would be taken to the priest, and that priest would slaughter that animal, and it would die in the place of that person, so that person wouldn't die. But Something had to die. And Jesus, something had to take our place. So God, what does he do? He sends his own son, Jesus. His own son, Jesus Christ. He comes to this earth. And when he comes to this earth, he comes as a willing sacrifice, the Lamb of God. He dies on the cross at Calvary. His sin, his blood is shed for us. And by Jesus paying our sin debt, by taking on the wrath of a holy God for our sin, by Jesus doing that, God remains just because somebody has paid for our sin. But He's also the justifier because He's the one who actually does the saving. Isn't that also? It's not what you can do. It is what He has done. That's why God did all that. That's why whenever John says, Behold the Lamb of God has come that takes away the sin of the world. When he says of the world here, he's referring to the people who live on this planet. And we covered that earlier in our study in John. Now, folks, he's not saying everybody's going to be saved because everybody's not going to be saved. The Bible tells us multiple times that many more people are going to hell than they're going to heaven. The greatest, I believe the second greatest sermon Jesus ever preached was the Sermon on the Mount. And at the end of that sermon, Jesus said, wide is the path that leads to destruction. But narrow is the way that leads to, to life. As Jesus told parable after parable about the kingdom of God multiple times, you see the percentage very high that does not make it. It does not make it. You see, in all people say that all roads lead to God. Well, they're true to a degree. Every person will stand before their maker one day. But here's the thing. If you don't stand before them and stay there, there's only one way. The Bible teaches that everybody that dies, those who are saved, go to be the presence of God. I don't, I don't like to use that term, rest in peace. I don't see how you can rest in glory with all that's going on. <laughs> no sir. Now, you may fall asleep in here because of my preaching. You ain't going to fall asleep in the presence of Jesus Christ. I'm here to tell you that now. You ain't going to fall asleep with, with, with that kind of music and worship going on. You're just you just not, okay? But, but if you are saved, you're going to be with God. But if you're lost, the Bible says you go to hell. And there you'll be tormented. And the Bible describes there is coming a time when Jesus Christ comes back. Sets up this earthly reign here on this earth. And then the great white throne judgment will take place. And everybody who has ever lived will stand before God. Those who are lost will stand before God. The, the sea will give up its dead. The earth will give up its dead. And, and folks will stand before God. And their eternal destiny has already been settled. But they'll have their day in court. And they'll plead and they'll plead, but it'll be too late. And the Bible says they will die a second death a second death where they'll be cast into a lake of fire forever and ever and ever. It it, it, it is awful. The only way to avoid that is to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior by repenting of your sins and following him. That is the only way to be saved. And the whole world isn't doing that. But those who do trust in Christ as their Lord and Savior, those who do repent of their sin and turn to Jesus, they can be saved. The fact that it's for the whole world means that anybody on this planet can be saved if they'll simply come to Jesus Christ for salvation. There is no other way. Church, when we think about this phrase, we think about what John has said here. Remember that the Jews in John's day didn't really like Jesus, a lot of them. The religious ones, anyway. He was not the Messiah they wanted. They wanted a warrior, political king. Unfortunately, we got too many Christians that want that today. Well, we need a Savior. Amen. For our country, we need a savior. We need Jesus Christ to take over. But they didn't didn't really like his plan. Even his own disciples struggled with it right up to the end. But God knew exactly what we needed. We needed a lamb. We needed someone who would die in our place. And when Jesus did that, he put an end to all the other sacrifices. No longer, because remember, thousands and probably millions of lambs had been slaughtered, and none of those lambs could ever take away our sin. But one did. His name is Jesus. Folks, I'm so glad. Man. I cannot imagine how much God hates my sin. I can't imagine how much he hates your sin. And I'm so glad I'm never going to find out. I'm never going to find out. Not because I am a good person. No, but I have one who has justified me. I have one who has died in my place. I have repented of my sin and given my life to Him. Jesus Christ has saved me. He has sealed me with His Spirit until the day of redemption and glory. And I thank God that I will never know what that's like. You may be sitting here today and not be saved. You're going to find out if you don't get right with God. Those family members that are lost, they're going to find out if we don't tell them. Our friends and coworkers, they're going to find out if we don't tell them. Their only hope is Jesus. We cannot be silent. We must share with them. As Paul said in 2 Corinthians, we must plead with them. They need to be saved. You know, in the book of Revelation, John wrote that book. He describes Jesus as the Lamb, but he does not use the Greek word amnos to refer to him. He uses another word, In the Greek language, that refers to a victorious lamb. Because guess what? Jesus Christ went to the cross as a a suffering servant. He died and he rose again three days later. He is glorified and he is on his way back one day. He will rule and reign forever in glory. And I'm telling you, church, he, he, when he comes back, it's going to be a much different sight than the first time he came. All of glory is going to be filled with him as he will be the light of that place. Today, are you going? Today, are you saved? Has he died for you? Have you accepted him as your Lord and Savior? In just a minute, I'm going to be right there. Brother Aaron's going to be right there. Brother Jacob will be up here and he'll lead us in a hymn of invitation. But if you've never repented of your sin and given your heart and life to Christ, then you're not saved. And you need to get saved today. Admit to God that you are a sinner. And you are. The Bible says you are. We just read it. You're a sinner. And you've got to repent of your sin. The very first sermon Jesus ever preached was repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. You can't just say, I don't want to go to hell and, and live any kind of way you want to. That's nowhere found in this book. That is a false gospel. That's the devil's gospel. The true gospel, someone repents of their sin, gives their life to Christ, they're a new person. They turn away from their sin and they turn to Jesus Christ. They believe that Jesus is the Son of God. They believe that He died on the cross for their sins. They believe that He rose again. And see, you must confess Him as your Savior and Lord. That means that He is going to be the boss, ruler, master of your life. And if you've not done that, you've not been saved. Hey, have you done that? Today is the day of salvation. And if you have, hallelujah. We're never going to know just how mad God can get. Now, does that mean we can do whatever we want to here on this earth and there'll be no earthly ramifications? No, there are earthly ramifications. But the hell that is waiting on those who rejected Christ, will never know. So the next time you're thinking about whether or not you should do what he's telling you to do, remember what he's done for you and submit to him. Right now, is there something right now he's been calling you to do and you haven't done it? You've given every excuse under the sun on why you don't need to be obedient? Think about what he has done for you. And I pray that challenge you to be found faithful to him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for all that you do for us. And I thank you most of all, Lord Jesus, for being that lamb, for being that sacrifice for us. Thank you, God, that I will never know How much you hate my sin because, Jesus, you took it for me. May I never argue or gripe or complain about your goodness to me and your goodness to us as your church, but may we be found faithful to follow you. And, God, I plead today because I know you don't have to, Lord, but I I plead with these that are here today that could hear my voice if they've never been saved, that they get saved today. Oh God, today if their life has never been changed by Jesus, will they turn to you before it's too late? Oh God, may your Holy Spirit convict them and show them and prick their heart right now and show them they need to be born again. As believers, prick our heart to be found faithful to you. May we live daily thankful for what you have done. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Today if God's calling you to to be saved, or you want someone to pray with you, we'll pray with you. If God's calling you to join this fellowship, this church, come take one of us by the hand, we'll show you what to do next. If you want someone to pray with you, we'd love to pray with you. The altar's open.